Hebrews chapter 11, and our plan this morning is to cover verses 28 through 30. As in previous weeks, I believe there's one thought um, that, that kind of ties these verses together. And so what I want to do is, is identify this one common thread that highlights or underscores a particular truth in this passage. As we go through it, just see how quickly you can put your finger on it. We will go back to the historical narratives that are alluded to in these verses and draw our lessons from those. Hebrews 11, verses 28 through 30, read the three verses and then go back verse by verse. Through faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood. Let's see that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians are saying to do were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. So the three narratives, the three accounts from the Old Testament that are referenced here in Hebrews 11, three that you're probably well familiar with, the keeping of the Passover in verse 28, the crossing of the Red Sea in verse 29, and the battle at Jericho in verse number 30. What do all these have in common and what can those similarities teach us? Now, Mark Hebrews 11, we'll be back there. Come to the book of Exodus from the book of Exodus, and we'll kind of just uh, bring you up to chapter number 12. For 400 years, remember, God's people, the Hebrews, the children of Israel, have been in bondage. Well, they, they hadn't been in bondage the 400 years. They've been in Egypt for 400 years. As had been prophesied in Genesis 15, God told Abraham that his people would go into a strange country, dwell there 400 years, and that's exactly what happened. It always happens, just as God says that it will happen. Uh, Pharaoh had afflicted them in Exodus chapter 1, made the people serve with hard bondage. In chapter 2, we are introduced to Moses, and we told his story last week, how God called him to deliver his people out of Egypt. In Exodus 3, we have the calling from the burning bush, and God told Moses, I want you to go deliver my people from Egypt's bondage. He tries to argue with the Lord, but that never works really well. You notice that? It's kind of like arguing with my wife. It's just it's pointless. You're not going to win. Okay, Arguing with the Lord, it, it, you might as well just not do it because you're not going to win the argument. And he doesn't. He tries to make excuses, uh, but they don't work. God gives him some signs in chapter 4. In chapter 5, Moses and Aaron appear before Pharaoh for the very first time with this message. Four words, you know it well, let my people Go, But nothing can ever be easy. Pharaoh doesn't say, okay, Pharaoh hardens his heart in response. Look at chapter 5, actually, with me, verse 2 of Exodus 5-2. Here's what Pharaoh said. And Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. And uh, thus, thus commences a series of events whereby 10 plagues come down on Egypt. With the initial response in chapter 5, Pharaoh not only laughs at Moses' suggestion, but increases the burden of the children of Israel. says, you, not only do you have to make as many bricks as you did before, but you've got to go gather all your own straw to make those bricks. And I'm not decreasing your workload, I'm increasing it, which didn't make Moses very popular with the people, as you might imagine, and he was very discouraged, but God renews his commission in chapter 6. In chapter 7, uh, the contest between Moses and Pharaoh and Egypt's magicians begins. 
that culminates in a series of ten, ten plagues on the land of Egypt. The objective of those ten plagues is to show the superiority of the true God, the God of the Hebrews, to the false gods of Egypt. In Exodus 12, verse 12, we read, Against the gods of Egypt will I execute judgment. So those plagues were water turned to blood in chapter 7, the plague of frogs in chapter 8, and of lice and of flies in chapter 8, the plague of the moraine, the disease on the cattle in chapter 9, the boils in chapter 9, and the hail, and then in chapter 10, the locusts and the darkness, and then in chapter 11 and chapter 12, the death of the firstborn, the final judgment, the one that finally causes Pharaoh to let the people go. So let's jump in to the narrative there, chapter 11 and verse number 4. Chapter 11, verse 4, Moses said, Thus saith the Lord, about midnight will I go out in the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sitteth upon his throne, even unto the firstborn of the maidservant that is behind the mill, and all the firstborn of beasts. And there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there was none like it, nor shall be like it any more. But against any of the children of Israel shall not a dog move his tongue against man or beast, that ye may know how the Lord hath put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. So this is... This is the final plague, this is the final judgment. This is to happen on the night of the exodus, okay? The exit, the departure from Egypt on behalf of uh, the children of Israel takes place here. But before they did that, and in order to survive this plague, God had some very detailed instructions for his people in chapter 12. We're not going to read uh, the entire chapter, but just kind of scan over it with me if you would. In verse number three, God told them what they had to kill. They had to kill a lamb. In verses three and four, he said how many they had to kill, one for each household. In verse number five of chapter 12, what kind they had to kill. It had to be a male without blemish. Of the first year, in, in verse 3, he said, when they had to take it on the 10th day. On In verse 6, he said, when they had to kill it on the 14th day. Not just on the 14th day, but in the evening on the 14th day. In verse 7, what they had to do with the blood. They had to apply it to the doorpost and the lintel of the door over top and down the sides. They had to take hyssop, dip it in that blood, and apply it to the doorpost of their house. When's the last time you ever saw somebody decorating that way? Unless it was Halloween. I mean, take the blood, dip it, put it on your house. That, that's odd. Okay? In verse number, verses 8 and 9, how they had to prepare the meat and what they had to eat with it. Here's the meal that you have to eat. You have to, you have to prepare the meat in this way. You have to eat it with these sides. What they had to do with the leftovers in verse 10, they had to burn them. What they had to wear during the meal in verse number 11, very very detailed instructions. God said, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to do it. This is how you're going to be delivered from this plague and escape Egypt this very night. In verse number 28, the Bible says, And the children of Israel went away and did as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so did they. God had some, some very peculiar and very detailed instructions for the, for the Israelites to be delivered on Passover night. But they didn't say why. They didn't say that's weird. They didn't say I don't get it. 
They didn't say, it doesn't make sense to me. They didn't say, could you please explain the purpose of this? No, God told them what they do, what to do. They did what God said to do. And on that night, God worked on their behalf in a miraculous and marvelous deliverance. Look at chapter 11 and verse number 7 again. Against any of the children of Israel shall not a dog move his tongue against man or beast. You may know how the Lord put a difference between Egyptians and Israel. When, as they were leaving, not even a dog barked. Look at chapter 12, verse number 35. The children of Israel did according to the word of Moses. They borrowed the Egyptians jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. They lent unto them such things as they required. And they spoiled the Egyptians. Not only did none of the dogs bark, they borrowed all kind of stuff from their neighbors on their way out of town. Don't you love how the Bible uses the word Borrowed. All right, it's, it's not exactly how, well, it's not how we always use, we sometimes use the word borrowed in that way. Like, you're going to give it to me, I'm not going to give it back. But to, to, to borrow technically is just to, to, to take some side from somebody to, to use in some way. So in that way, they borrowed, they were kind of just getting paid for all of their years of slavery in Egypt. And then the Egyptians did eventually take it back if you read later on in the book of Kings. But that's not the point of the of the lesson this morning. They borrow all st- kind of stuff from their neighbors. Look at chapter 14, verse number 8. The Bible says, and the, uh, and the children of Israel, end of the verse, the children of Israel went out with an high hand. All right. So, so Hebrews 11 says, through faith. He kept the Passover. And and why does it say through faith he kept the Passover? Again, because the connection between faith and obedience is an inseparable connection. Faith just took God at his word and said, God, I'll do what you said to do. I don't understand the reason for it. It seems odd. I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. But if you said it, it has to be right. So I'm going to do it. And look what God did for them. As a result, it's just incredible. Now, the next, uh, the next narrative, the next account referenced in Hebrews 11 is the crossing of the Red Sea. Our verse there said, By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians are saying to do, were drowned. Come to chapter 14 of Exodus. Let's look quickly at the Red Sea crossing. Exodus 14. And verse... Number one, Exodus 14, verse one, the Lord spake unto Moses saying, speaking to the children of Israel that they turn and encamp before Pihiroth between Migdol and the sea over against Baal Zephon before it shall ye encamp by the sea. God told, okay, when you leave Egypt, this is the way I want you to go. And this is where I want you to camp. But look at the reason for that instruction given in verse number three, for Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel They are entangled in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart that he shall follow after them. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his sons. The Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. God, why why do you want us to go there? Why do you want us to travel this direction? Why do you want us to pitch camp at this site? So Pharaoh can come and chase you. That's what it says. God told them where to go on purpose 
so that Pharaoh could follow them, pursue them, chase them into the wilderness. Pharaoh had a quick change of heart after letting the people of Israel go. That's in verse number five of the chapter. He regrets the decision. So in verses six through nine, they're pursuing after and overtaking the Hebrews and God set it all up on purpose. It's interesting. In verses 10 to 12, the Hebrews are freaking out, which you probably would be too. And in verse number 13, Moses said to the people, fear ye not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he shall show you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you and ye shall hold your peace. And the Lord said unto Moses, wherefore criest thou unto me, speaking to the children of Israel, that they go forward. But lift thou up thy rod and stretch out thine hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Really? You're, you're going to bring us into the wilderness to this certain place where we're completely entangled by the wilderness so that Pharaoh can chase after us. We're going to come to the edge of the Red Sea and Moses is just going to lift up his rod and we're going to cross the sea on dry ground. That's how you want this to work? Do you think there were any skeptics among the congregation that day? Think there might have been anybody a, a little bit taken back by this particular set of instructions? Verse number 17, I behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians. They shall follow them and I will get me honor upon Pharaoh, upon all his hosts, and upon his chariots, upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots, upon his horsemen. And the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them. And the pearl of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians, the camp of Israel. It was a cloud and darkness to them, but it gave light by night to these. So the one came not near the other all the night. So this, this Pharaoh's army pursuing after the Hebrews and almost overtaking them, it's not like they crossed the Red Sea just before Pharaoh's army arrived. No, Pharaoh's army was there. And all night long, God's angel creeped out the Egyptians and made it dark for them and gave light to the Hebrews. There was this, there was this small, thin barrier between the two camps that, that lasted the entire night long, according to verse number 20. Verse 21, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. The children of Israel went in the midst of the sea upon the dry ground. The waters were walling them on the right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea. Even all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, his horsemen came to pass in the morning watch. The Lord looked into the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and the cloud, troubled the host of the Egyptians, I bet, and took off their chariot wheels that they drave them heavily. So the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. They decided a little bit too late to turn around. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the sea, that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, upon their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength when the morning appeared. The Egyptians fled against it. So they're trying to run. It's like trying to outrun a tsunami. It, it's just not going to work. The waters returned. Verse 28, cover the chariots and the horsemen. Have you ever seen videos? People, the tidal waves coming, and they weren't prepared, and they are just trying. Can you imagine how frightening that would be? That's what's happening in Exodus 14. That's Pharaoh's army and his chariots trying to get away from the Red Sea. 
but it comes crashing down upon them. Verse 29, but the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were walling to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. The people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servants Moses. Okay, let's, let's, let's just summarize all that real quick. Incredible story. Great Bible account. The crossing of the Red Sea. But again, there were some interesting instructions God gave his people. Go this direction. Camp in this spot. Because I'm going to send Pharaoh after you. God, why are we here? Pharaoh changes his mind. We are toast. Yeah, exactly. That's why I want you to camp here. And then here comes Pharaoh. God, what do we do? Don't worry about it. I've got it covered. You're going to walk across the sea. Walk across the sea. Two million people. We're going to walk across the sea. What do you mean walk across the sea? Oh, forgot. Take up your rod. And when you lift it, the waters are going to... And make a path for you right through the center. I'm going to take every molecule of water out of the way so that as you cross the Red Sea, you'll be crossing by dry land. Well, God, what's going to happen? Pharaoh's army is going to change. Well, just long enough for y'all to cross, and then I'm going to crash it in upon them. Interesting instructions. Really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. At least at the time the instructions were given. But they did what they were told. And it turned out perfectly. And then chapter 15, they sang an entire song thanking God for what he had just done. That is faith in Hebrews 11. You, you don't have to understand what God said. You just have to believe what God said. You don't even necessarily have to agree with the way the Lord has laid it out. You've just got to follow the instructions. The Bible says in chapter 14, we just read it, the people feared the Lord. Remember, we, we saw that last week. The fear of God and faith in God are closely related. They fear the Lord and believe the Lord and his servant Moses. So, so even though the instructions were detailed and peculiar, they followed them and God delivered. Then... Verse number 30 of Hebrews 11 says, I'll just turn back and, and read it real quickly. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. We're going to fast forward 40 years into the narrative and go to Joshua chapter number six. Come with me to Joshua chapter number six. Moses is dead, as are all the other adults who came out of Egypt. Joshua, Moses' successor, is tasked with leading the children of Israel into the promised land. They're going to have some battles to fight. They're going to have some enemies to conquer. They cross over the Jordan in Joshua chapter 3. And the first place they come to is this large and well-fortified city of Jericho. In chapter 5, Joshua has a meeting with the captain of the Lord's host. You remember that? Take off your shoes, Joshua, the place where you're standing is holy ground. You remember the last time anybody said that? That was Moses at the burning bush. So Joshua has a similar experience here. And the captain of the Lord's host in chapter 5 lays out the battle plan that we read about in chapter 6. So let's start in verse number 1. Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out 
and none came in. News had come to Jericho. The children of Israel were coming and, and all that God had done for them. And so nobody's coming out or leaving the city. And the Bible says, verse 2, The Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given in thine hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. Well, no, I don't see it because they're in there and we're out here. How could Joshua see that God had given them into his hand? Well, Hebrews 11 explains it several times. You, you see things that, that are invisible through the eyes of faith. Joshua had to believe what God's saying here. Verse number three, you shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once. Thus shalt thou do six days. All right, here's the battle plan. Get in the line and march. Okay, where do you want us to march? In a circle around the city. Okay, verse number four, and seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns, and the seventh day shall compass the city seven times, and the priests shall blow with the trumpets, and it shall come fast, and they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout. Okay, so, so we're going to march around the city, and, and you want to make sure the priests are in front. We're going to go six times, or six, six days once around the city, the seventh day, seven times around the city, and then we're all going to shout, and then an artillery barrage, and then storm the gates, and then burn the houses, and then maybe like AI get them to chase us, and then send another group into the city once all the men leave. I mean, what's the plan here? Is it going to be hand-to-hand combat, or we're going to shoot some missiles? What's going to happen next? We're going to shout, and then, verse number five, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat and the people shall ascend up every man straight before him you, you remember sending paratroopers in you want us to get the helicopter and and march around the city and by the way don't say anything for six days right the seventh day shout and when you shout and then it's one you go in you take the city. I have to admit, that is a peculiar battle plan. There has never been any like it either before or since. Look at verse number six. Joshua receives this message from the captain of the Now he has to go deliver the message to the people of Israel. Now now he's got to go tell his soldiers, here's what we're going to do. Verse number six, and Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. Well, well I want to go. Well, I want no, 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 seven, not 12, not 14, seven. And he had to pick because they couldn't agree on which seven was going to be. Seven priests, seven trumpets of ram's horns. Well, I don't really like blowing my ram's horn trumpet. I want, no, no, no. God said seven trumpets of ram's horns. And he said to the people, verse 7, pass on, encompass the city, and let him that is armed pass on before the ark of the Lord. And it came to pass when Joshua had spoken to the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns passed on before the Lord and blew the, with the trumpets, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. So, so not only the priests, the army, we got to take the ark out there too. This furniture from the tabernacle. And the armed men, verse 9, went before the priest that blew with the trumpets, and the rearward came after the ark, the priest going on and blowing with the trumpet. And Joshua had commanded the people, saying, Ye shall not shout nor make any noise with your voice, neither shall any word proceed out of your mouth until the day I bid you shout. 
then shall ye shout. So, so the first six days and then the first seven laps on the seventh day, you've got to be completely silent. No small talk, no responding to the soldiers of Jericho, no whistling, no march cadence, nothing. And then when I tell you shout, then you shout. So verse 11, the ark of the Lord compassed the city going about it once. And they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. Can you remember that first night? I mean, they had to do that for six days. All right, what's our task today? Let's go take our lap around the city. Okay, then we're going to do. Then we're going to come back to camp. Imagine being in camp that night. Is this what we're going to do tomorrow? We're going to do this for six days? Verse number 12, Joshua rose early in the morning. Priests took up the ark of the Lord, seven priests, bearing seven trumpets of ram's horn before the ark of the Lord went on continually, blew with the trumpets. The armed men went before them, but the rearward came after the ark of the Lord, the priests going on and blowing with the trumpets. The second day, they compassed the city once, returned to the camp, so they did six days. It came to pass on the seventh day, they rose early about the dawning of the day, compassed the city after the same manner seven times. Only on that day, they compassed the city seven times. It came to pass the seventh time when the priest blew with the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, the Lord have given you the city, and the city shall be accursed, even it and all that are therein. To the Lord, only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all that are in her house, because she had the messengers that we sent. And that'll be uh, the, the, the lesson for next week. And you know what happened? The Bible says in verse number uh, 20, so the people shouted when the priests blew with the trumpets. It came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted the great shout. The wall fell down flat. It didn't come tumbling down, even though that makes for a great song. The wall fell down flat, so the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. All right, so, so can you imagine? Six days, once around, seven days, seven days, and then they shout. Like, that's the battle plan. They shout. They had a lot to shout about. The city had yet to be conquered, but God had delivered them from Egypt. God had brought them all the way through the wilderness to Canaan. God had provided for them and protected them miraculously every step of the way. Manna from heaven, water from the rock. God had been faithful to them, even in their disobedience to him. And here they shout in anticipation of the victory that he's about to give and, the, and for the glory of the battle. Here they're shouting before the victory's ever won, but they had a lot to go on to believe that God would grant the victory. It's interesting, it's beyond the scope of lesson this morning. In the 1930s, there was an excavation of the city of Jericho that confirmed that it happened just as the Bible said it did. The walls coming down, the people burning the stuff. And another example of archaeology proving the Bible to be true. But you got to admit, from Joshua 6, that was a peculiar way to go about taking the city. You also have to admit that it worked. Lord, I don't like your battle plan. Okay, give me a better one. Who had a better idea than, than the Lord? What other chance did the Hebrews have than an obeying Lord? How could they have possibly improved on the way that God said to go about it? Look again at verse number 8 quickly, Joshua 6, 8. And it came to pass when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns passed on, look at this phrase, before the Lord. Before the Lord. They weren't marching before the people of Jericho. 
They weren't trying to impress or intimidate or scare the king or his army. They were marching before the Lord. Why are you guys out there? We can't tell you. We've got to be quiet. Why, why are you guys out there? Because God said to do it. And if we're going to enjoy the victory in the Christian life that the Hebrews enjoyed as they entered Canaan, we will do what God said to do the way that God said to do it just because we know he's smarter than we are and we're completely dependent on him and his instructions. So the application this morning, I believe by now is clear. In each case, God told him to do something weird. God told them to do something that did not make sense. God, God not only had weird instructions, but very detailed instructions. Lord, why do you care about these insignificant details? Well, later on, there's a lot of significance to the details. You remember studying the Passover? And, and, and all the typology of Jesus Christ? Well, those, those, those little insignificant details, they all point to something about the crucifixion of the Lord. So there was a point behind it. Right? And, and, and we'll find in our lives, we might not understand the reason for the commandment at the time, but later on it all makes sense. And there are some things I believe that God has told us and will tell us to do that we're not necessarily going to understand at the time that we're told. That we're not going to necessarily even agree with when the preacher opens the Bible and says, this is what God Wants you to do. But you know how all these people in Hebrews 11 obtained a good report? They just did what God said to do whether they understood it or not. Whether, whether it made sense to them or not. We are not asked to understand everything God asks of us. We are told to do everything God asks of us. We are not, we're, not asked to, we're not asked to comprehend all of God's instructions. We're asked to, to, to believe and follow along with all of God's instructions. God always doesn't show us why immediately, but there always is a reason. Now, now, now come on, tr- try try to make the application in your own heart to your own life. Have you ever have you ever asked what some of these people inevitably had to have asked? Why do I have to do that? Why can't we go there? Why can't I be like all the other people at school? Why can't we watch those shows? Why can't we listen to those songs? Why do I have to wear this? Why do I have to go there? Why can't I have those people as friends? Have you not ever asked those questions? What could possibly be wrong with it? Or, or why is this activity so important? Sometimes it doesn't make sense to our carnal minds. But who wants to have a God that they can ultimately or completely comprehend? Now, now stop for a second. Think about that question. If everything that God says makes sense to me, and if the litmus test for my obedience is whether or not I understand or agree with what God said, that, that, that's saying that, that at the very least God and I are on equal planes, if not God being inferior to me. Right? Does that make sense what I'm trying to say? Isaiah 55 says, His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. That's the heaven is high above the earth. So if God's ways and God's thoughts are that much higher than my way and my thoughts, then it just makes sense that He's going to say some things I'm not going to understand. It just makes sense there are going to be some of His ways that, that I'm not going to comprehend because I'm so far beneath Him. 
I've just got to trust in his superior wisdom. I've got to trust in his superior knowledge. I've got to trust in his superior foresight. I've, I've just got to go along with the program because I know he's smarter than I am, even if it doesn't make sense to me right at the time. Psalm 18, verse 30 says, As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to them that put their trust in him. And that's what the people in Hebrews 11 did. They just trusted God enough to do what he said. And God came through on all of his promises. All right. So, so we see how those three fit together. The Passover, the crossing of the Red Sea, the walls of Jericho, some, some detailed instructions, some odd instructions, but it worked. And God's way always does. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for the lesson from your word. Help us to helps to take heed, apply it to our lives. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.